From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 121. Today's show is brought to you by our fine sponsors, Smile and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, still in the festive season, by Mr. Jason Snell. Happy Boxing Day, Mike. The day of boxes, in which we celebrate all of the boxes that we got the day before. We uh, we line them all up, and we, we dance and we punch around them. them. And then we, we punch, punch them. them. Yep, that's it's double double type of boxing on boxing. And day. my dog is a boxer, so it's her day too. We bring boxer dogs in concerned. to mm-hmm. round up the cardboard boxes, and then we fight them. Yeah. And then that's it's it. the best day. So we are recording on the twenty sixth of December, Boxing Day, uh, which means that yesterday uh, was Christmas, and I believe that we both participated in the tradition of gift giving. Yeah, so, of course, Jason Snell. What was your favorite holiday gift this year? Uh, this year, my wife got me a... Uh, we, we are going to a baseball game in... I forget when it is, April or May. And it's uh, and it's uh, like craft beer night or something. So there's before the game, like two hours before the game, there's like a craft beer tasting like fair and stuff that's in the ballpark. And then and you get... I think you get a a hat or something and then you also get to go see the baseball game and it's fun so it's like a little uh, little event that i can look forward to in 2017 so that was i would say that's probably the best i got i got some other stuff you know you get socks mm-hmm. uh foot foot cardigan socks in this case and uh the um i got some tea and some honey which is great because i like those things in the morning and uh yeah that was that was me that was me um what about you just quickly craft brew like craft yeah. beer and yeah. baseball. And baseball. There is a strong chance that might turn out to be the best day of her life. That's, it's that's, like that's the most my smell. <laughs> no, but, but that's the thing, Mike. You, you know that because for me, but the fact is that, the, that that's also like the most San Francisco thing <laughs> ever. That's true. Uh, that's it's true. very, it's very, you know, all those things. That's, it's just a very American thing. But you have a baseball now, so. I do. Know. It's sitting on my windowsill just over there. I unpacked you're it be- a couple of days ago. You're be- becoming uh, more American by the day. So I uh, said so this year, because we just moved in, everyone was buying us lots of practical gifts, um, lots of gift cards for homeware stuff and glassware, you know, stuff like that. So mm. Adina knows how much I enjoy toys at Christmas. So she surprised me uh, with a drone. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the video. <laughs> I was beside myself of excitement. Uh, I now have a Parrot Bebop 2 drone, um, which is, it's like a kind of middle of the line type thing, right? These aren't the drones that cost like $1,000, but they're, they're very expensive still because they have cameras in them um, and they're mm-hmm. controlled with an app on my iPhone. Um, and I took it out for a couple of flights and I'm looking forward to when we get back from our trip because uh, there's a big park near where we live because we've been at my grandma's the, the whole weekend and we're going to go take it for some test flights there. Uh, I'm really excited about this because it's like, I mean, I don't expect to start incorporating a plethora of drone footage into my vlogs, but it's just like a, a fun, silly toy that I want to play around with because eventually, like, I have my eyes set on one of the big expensive ones because I, I just think it's kind of cool uh, and I was so excited to get this. And I'm, honestly, like... Even the footage that this thing produces, it's super impressive to me. I think it looks brilliant. So I'm very, I, very excited I, about this. I enjoyed your your Twitter video that you posted, which um, was also funny because 
you are like looking like you are beside yourself indeed and uh adina is just amused by the whole thing like wearing a christmas cracker hat yeah wearing wearing her hat Uh, i had one of those on last night and the one that um the the thing that made me laugh is that is that the uh you know the drone rises and i just kept waiting for it to crash (laughs) but it didn't (laughs) no i was good i i've made sure to have a good uh good air above me and I planned out the place specifically because I knew nobody was going to be around because I was worried that I might crash it into somebody's face. Uh, they're actually not too difficult to control. You know, they have like a bunch of sensors in them and, and things like that to try and keep them balanced because it was pretty windy. Um, and you can see it like, it, you know, when you're watching it, it, it does a lot to stabilize itself. It's very impressive yeah. technology in those things. Um, so, yeah, that's my new toy. Talking about new toys, I did receive a new toy of my that I bought for myself after last week's episode, which is my AirPods. Oh, that's right. We were waiting for them to to arrive, and and they didn't. They weren't delivered during the episode. They came just as I was finishing editing. Um, I really, really like these things a lot. Um, it's you know I've seen many people say this, and I can only agree that these AirPods is kind of Apple at its finest. I agree uh, because it's like this little little box with something inside of it which you've never really experienced before in the way that they've done it, right? Like, we've all used Bluetooth headphones, but again, it's just like, there's no wire between them. And when you take one out, it pauses. And, you know, like, all these little things that Apple does, like, just their little sprinkle of magic fairy dust that they put on their products, like... This is very much like that. And it's been a long time since we've had a product like this from Apple because there haven't been many types of things that they've had to improve upon in their way. I was thinking that the last time Apple released a product that I think struck me as being like this, like where, like it's just exactly Apple, um, was the it was the pencil. The pencil last year. Yeah, think, the pencil's was, a good example. Close. Very good example, actually. The, right? They come from that world. It's like, there is this thing that already exists, a stylus, but how can we make it our version of that, right? Like, there's this thing that exists, wireless headphones. Let's make our version of those. And it feels and very it's, much and like it's, that. You, you know it's a high-tech product that's mm-hmm. incredibly complicated and difficult to design. Because it has little lights and magnets, you know, like this those little touches. In the end, the interface is is nothing, is non-existent, and yeah. that's uh, you know that the pencil is absolutely the case, right? It has no interface at all, nope. and with the AirPods, the interface is incredibly minimal. Um, and I, I think, and there's things to probably criticize about that. And I did after we had our chat, of course, I did go back to writing my review, and we, we'll put a link in. And we I posted that, but you know, uh, I, I think it's a first cut at this product for apple and that there's a lot of stuff that they could improve and yet it's still like i mean you could have said that about the original iphone too uh, but still you just get that moment of like oh yeah this is this is what i this is this is what all of us i think expect from apple with every product they do which is unfair because they can't you can't do it with every product sure but it's this combination of pushing forward technology popularizing some stuff that was existed before but was not quite good enough and doing a few little things that add add care and uh personality to the product and uh and the airpods really have them they really do like a lot of the early complaints when we saw these things you know like just from from observing them without ever using them was oh you know just play on pause and asking siri to do this stuff for me is ridiculous the fact of the matter is, like now that I've used them, I can see that the sensors that are detecting those taps are nowhere near sensitive enough. Like, yeah, if you you, I don't know how well it could detect <laughs> between a double tap and a triple tap. Like, I I just think, 
you know, this is one of those things where like Apple obviously know what they're doing. And now I've used it. I'm like they obviously knew what they're doing. If they could have somehow put in a tap three times to skip or whatever, they would have done mm-hmm. that. But these things, they're just not, you know, you have to sometimes really give it a bit of a thunk to get it to do yeah. anything, um, which is actually kind of uncomfortable. Like, because you're kind of smacking the side of your head. Like, it's not really yeah. a, a, a great method. Like, my hope would be, and I'm sure that they are work, trying to work on this, is some kind of just very slight touch gestures, you know, like swipe left, swipe right, swipe up, swipe down, you know, like on a, on a small touch interface that they could build into the back of it, which seems like a incredibly difficult thing to do, but I have absolute faith that they would be able to pull that off at some point in the future. You sure. Know, uh, they could, that seems like technology that exists already, but is just, you know, not small enough. But I, I believe that that would be something that Apple would be able to do, you know? Um, however they would do it, you know, they might use some kind of light sensor or something. Uh, but overall, like I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really, I'm really impressed. And also showing them to my family over Christmas, that was, everybody was impressed with them as well. Like they loved the way it all worked, like the case and the pausing when you remove one type stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, and it reminded me of how it used to feel to be the person who had Apple products before anybody else really had them. You know, like before the iPhone or like before the iPhone 4, right, when you could show somebody an Apple product and they were like, whoa, what is this? Like I've never seen something like this before. Like it reminded right. me of that because everyone was like, like they would take it out and it would pause and it would put it back in and it was like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and right. Being the any user of an Apple product, their products still do that, but you don't get to be the person to demo them anymore. Because everybody already has the new iPhone, you know? So, it, I, I don't know. That was kind of... That was cool. But the consensus was, and, you know, I think will continue to be, that they look weird and a little bit silly. Yeah, in, well, it'll take ears. time. Exactly. That This will just take time and then people won't care about that anymore. Like, I understand that, right? Because they do... I think they look ridiculous when I'm wearing them. I'm like, oh, my God, this looks so silly. Like, just these stalks sticking out on my ears. But that's just because they're new. And within a couple of years' time... This is just how they'll be. Like, you know, I think that maybe within the next two or three revisions, they might be included in the box. I hope they are. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. That that might that might take take a while. But I that was I a do... funny thing talking to my family that a bunch of people like their like friends of my family thought that the AirPods did come with the new iPhone. Oh, which is yeah. I can see how people would assume that, right? Like, sure, we're taking away the headphone jack. Here's these new headphones we've made. Right, you just assume could, that it would be in the them. box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it's I, maybe not within the next few revisions, but I think eventually, right? Like eventually, these are going to be the things that come with the iPhone. I assume. Yeah, and everybody eventually is going to be used to little things sticking out of mm-hmm. your ears too. I think that's not that's only yeah. a matter of time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm I, really impressed with them. Yeah, I think uh, yeah that was. That was a, uh, in many ways, a pretty easy review for me to write because, you know, I I really like. (laughs) I mean, it's like I didn't need to search my feelings for the complexity of the. Like, no, these are really good. They've got some issues. Downside at all is no the you know relying on relying on Siri and 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 those double taps being you know like somebody's knocking in the middle of your head are not the best. Um, uh, Yeah, and like we said last week, um, like. The fact that in in no internet circumstances they just don't work. Like there's no there's no capability for it to do basic processing on the phone, which they used to have. It's that's dumb. That that you know there are things that they could fix with software, um, and then there are things that I hope they fix. 
like I would love to be able to assign different gestures to the left and the right ear, for example, for those double taps. That mm-hmm. would be cool. But, you know, it's um, it, I don't know if any of that is possible, but it's all, all potential future versions of this. But for a version one product, I mean, it's great. Somebody asked me, so I, uh, I was writing a story. Uh, I was writing one of my Macworld columns. I decided to write it at... Uh, at uh, Starbucks down the street and I brought my iPad and I actually tried out a, a new keyboard. I tried out the bridge uh, keyboard for the iPad Pro and so I was I was trying all that stuff out and I was sitting at the table and, and I was using my AirPods and a guy asked me um, do you like them? And I said yeah they're really good and he said are they worth it? And I said well you know you get headphones in the box right? So those are free and uh are they worth it is such a hard question because it's like well i mean it it matters like what what's it worth to you wireless headphones are really convenient they don't get in your way they stay in your ears there's nothing dangling down there in certain circumstances if you're if you're particularly active or, or if you're like for me it's always like the cord getting snagged in the kitchen like there's so many things that are better about not having the cords but you know but you you pay for it and and these are not unreasonably priced for a set of wireless headphones that sound like this wireless earbuds but still you get a free pair of corded ones in the box so that was a tough question that i didn't really have a good answer for which is like you know how much do you want to spend on having these kind of fun and more convenient in many ways headphones and that that make your own decision there (laughs) I mean, as with most of these types of new products, I would say, wait to the next one. Like, if you're asking that question, just wait for the next ones because they'll be better. It will be more worth it. You know, they might be cheaper. Who knows? But, like, they'll be better. Like, if you're fine with it now, like, wait. But if you are a person who enjoys fun technology, like most of the people listening to this show, (laughs) I think you get a real kick out of these if you own them, in all honesty. I also, I mean, I think the argument of you can wait for the next one only goes so far because you can always wait for the next one, right? Oh, sure. Like, but, you know, like this is a version one, though, right? But you're right. If you want to feel like you're part of the future and you're doing something that everybody's going to be using products like this in five years, but you could get it today, but you have to pay, uh, you know, for, for the AirPods to do that. And that that's true. That's true. It's just, it's interesting because, you know, what's it worth to you is the answer there is, is you know... You don't need to buy a new iPhone this year. You can just keep last year's iPhone. You know there are lots of things people don't need to pay for. Do you need to buy a pair of AirPods? You absolutely don't need to buy a pair of AirPods. Are they? so, you know, it's just a matter of do they offer you enough to make it worth what the what the price is? But for a version one product, they're pretty great. I mean, like I don't have any of those real wait till version two if you're on the fence kind of feels about this product it, it, it's also i'm not convinced that there will be a substantial revision to them for a couple of years but um but i think they're pretty good as is next week the show everybody's been waiting for oh the yes. upgradees now we have the third annual upgradees going out next week we're very excited the voting has closed we have a good idea of where who our winners are going to be. You know, me and Jason have our own votes, and I'm sure we're both very confident in those votes. Mm. We know what the listener votes are. It's all very exciting. It's all coming together. And we have a little, uh, little secret surprise. Um, if you are somebody who has the iMessage sticker app uh, from the Relay, sticker pack from the Relay FM app installed, so if you have the Relay FM app, you can get our iMessage sticker pack. Uh, there is an upgrade sticker, which you will now find within that sticker pack. 
it uh, appeared a couple of days ago um, secretly, as we were able to do, because the iMessage sticker pack stuff is, is actually very, very advanced. Um, it's it's pretty cool. So you can go there, you can take a look, and you can send uh, your friends all of the things that you think uh, are winning, all of the upgradies. So you can send them out and uh, have fun with that. So there's a lovely little sticker mm-hmm. with more fantastic artwork from... Uh, at Forgotten Tale, our incredible uh, graphic designer that we work with and collaborate with. And we have some very special um, artwork that will appear in the show notes as well to right. commemorate the uh, the upgrades for this year. So, so tune in or, you know, podcast in on January 2nd and you will you will get that very special episode. It's a, it's a pre-taped episode. We won't be live for the people who listen live, but we will be providing on that date uh, while we're traveling. <laughs> we, will, we will have pre-taped that episode and, and you'll be able to hear it like all good award shows we have to have a tape delay in case something something <laughs> happens sure. you know in case sure. we have a run in or you never know so we, we gotta you make sure a streaker a streaker yeah exactly exactly is that all what right. you call streakers in in england a run-in somebody runs onto the field somewhere is that a run-in well no i mean they're still called streakers but streakers are naked you know there might be somebody yeah, right. who's not naked just, right who just runs in and who waves runs and in. it's like woohoo you know i think well, of kanye west fully clothed running, you know kanye yeah run, i suppose that's in. true yeah you never know we might get like john syracuse burst in and demand an award it, yeah, could happen. it could be it could happen he doesn't have enough awards already uh, enough upgradies who knows? Does he? Oh, yeah, they've won. They've won twice, right? ATP. Uh huh. Did they reconcilable differences win as well? It might have done. It, it might have, have. last year as a newcomer. This week's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, the cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. Encapsula has a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. And how do they do this? They have over 30 data centers with 2 terabits of bandwidth at their disposal. This network sits between your servers and your customers, routing and filtering traffic. It stops attack traffic by scraping bots and making sure that denial of service attacks never make it to your servers, whilst also caching your content and optimizing connections using their powerful content delivery network so your users get your content lightning fast. Encapsulate custom software and servers plus their 24-7 operations team even during the holiday season keep everything running and ship shape for you. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more about Encapsula's service and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So uh, we have a few things that we want to talk about today, a few stories, a few articles that uh, I was thinking I wanted to label as all about the Mac. We're going yeah. back to the Mac today. That's right. Because back there's been, the thankfully, uh, during the run-up to Christmas, uh, a few stories that appeared, <laughs> which uh-huh. me and Jason were talking of us like we were very thankful for these stories because it gave us something to talk about on what is potentially the hardest episode to have something to talk about in the year, which is the episode the day after Christmas. Um, not a lot of tech news breaks. Otherwise, this episode was going to be entirely about um, putting stickers on our technology mm-hmm. and me recommending uh, comic books to Mike. Those topics, by the way, because I know people will now be screaming for them, 
they will come at some point in the future. They are, we have, you know, as all uh, good podcasters do, we have a bank of evergreen topics that we can pull yes. out if nothing has happened. So they are two of those. And that was what it was going to be today. But luckily, there are a few things. And we'll start off with, um, let's start off with a, 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 an article from TechCrunch uh, of a leaked internal memo from Tim Cook um, on an Apple message board it was described as. Like, what is, what is that? What is. I don't even know. It's some what? sort of internal HR memo <laughs> feedback something. It's probably heavily moderated oh, by corporate human resources. I bet it's things. like 15 years old and it's got pinstriping everywhere and stuff. That's probably. Um, Tim Cook said the following. I'm going to read some quotes. Um, in a reply to a question asking about whether Mac desktops are still a strategic line for Apple. So Tim said... The desktop is very strategic for us. It's unique compared to the notebook. So you notice this is specifically, this person is, I think, targeting the Mac Pro in their yeah. question. Um, it's unique compared to the notebook because you can pack a lot more performance in a desktop. The largest screens, the most memory and storage, a greater variety of I.O., and fastest performance. So there are many difficult... There are many different reasons why desktops are really important and in some cases critical to people. Some folks in the media have raised the question about whether we're committed to desktops. If there's any doubt about that with our teams, let me be very clear. We have great desktops in our roadmap. Nobody should worry about that. So before we kind of dig into some of the wording here, because I think there is some interesting wording here. Of course. What's the driving force behind a comment like this from Cook, do you think? Is he trying to talk to this person who asked him that question? Or is he talking to the wider enthusiast audience, do you think? What's the motivation behind this? I think I think it's both. I think I think there are presumably there are people at Apple who feel as upset about the Mac not having a lot of attention put on it mm -hmm. seemingly as there are outside of Apple. Presumably, you know, the, you know, we we are a lot of the people at Apple, or at least some of the people at Apple, are like us, right? They they are. They are fans, and they love, and they use the Mac every day, and it matters to them. And they read what is written, and they listen to podcasts, and they want to know what's going on. But they're also Apple employees, so they get to ask Tim Cook, apparently, in their their uh, whatever this thing is. I'm also like thing. really interested to know how this kind of thing occurs. Was it like a town hall? Like, was Tim accepting these messages, or can you just like any day, any time? Just say, hey, Tim, what do you think about this? So, some a suggestion box sort of thing. I don't know whether they do a regular Q&A kind of thing. It seemed like that might be the case, right? Because this article had a few questions on a few yep. things. So I guess it was like a, a scheduled Q&A. Yeah, people submit questions and then some of those are answered is my experience in corporate environments, right? You don't answer all of them. You answer the ones you want to answer and give the answer that you want to give and that's it, right? So we, we this was chosen and, you know, they know that this is going to leak. That's, they absolutely know that, right? There's no way that any statement from Tim Cook circulated to all Apple employees is going to stay confidential. Yeah. So they, they, so that I think that's always the secondary consideration here is it allows uh, a message, you know, a, an unofficial message from Apple that's still official but unofficial to get out. To and this is a good way to do that, right? Like, let's let's imagine that me and you are working at Apple PR at the moment. Um, you, you, I, if I have the option here of like, you know, we kind of want to get this message out. How do we do this? We can either do this as a statement direct, like on the on the PR team, or somebody can tweet something, or someone can give a statement to the Verge, 
or it can be a leaked internal me- like memo. Mm. That kind of adds the leaked internal memo. Kind of in my mind, at least, adds a weight of like this is definitely true because nobody was supposed to see this. That's right. right? Well, like, that's, there's no spin in that message because it's internal. Apple doesn't. What Apple didn't want to do is um, give a an interview. It looks like based on this, give an interview to somebody talking about the you know the importance of Mac desktops, right? They didn't want to do a you know exclusive CNET talks to Tim Cook about Mac desktops, right? Because they're going to want to talk about other stuff. They're going to want to ask questions, pesky questions that Apple executives don't want to answer. Yep. They don't want to do that. This this shields them from all of that because it's just that this text is is not even released. This text is sent to Apple employees or posted for them to view, and then they walk away. And so it's a way to get direct quotes out that aren't you know leaks from sources, but are direct quotes without it being something that is. Um, you know, that is uh, part of a back and forth, even even with guidelines, you know, part of a back and forth with journalists, they're going to ask you follow up questions and things like that. And, and, uh, you know, this way doesn't require that <laughs> this way you do two paragraphs and you're gone. Pretty great, right? It's a pretty great idea. Like, I think it's a way to get this out. It's a smart way to get this message out. As a journalist, I would say I'd rather they actually answer questions and not be allowed to uh, be somewhat cryptic. And mm-hmm. th- this we can generate and, and have already plenty of questions about what exactly he means here. But if you view it from Apple's perspective, uh, you don't want that. <laughs> so, yeah. No, so I mean, you like, get this it's, a, it's yeah. a great way to do it purely from a, you know, being... Uh, tricky PR type thing, right? Like not as in, is this the best way for the message to be distributed? But I think it's maybe the best way for them to try and get their intention across, which is to be like, we do care about this. However, sending a signal. What is, what is Tim saying here? Do you think like, well, is this like desktop or desktops that he's talking about? One thing that's clear here is that how you view this, how you judge what he's saying here is going to be impacted by how you feel about where Apple is going, right? Because, you know, this is meant to be a reassurance, right? The headline is Apple's Tim Cook assures employees that it is committed to the Mac, right? That is the headline in TechCrunch that that leaked this memo. Um, okay, right? And yet, immediately after it, I saw, like, Marco Arment uh, feels like Apple's not going to, probably not going to ever release another Mac Pro and is not interested in this kind of market and all that. And Marco's take on this immediately was, well, look, he's ta- you see what he's saying. He's talking about the iMac. He's not talking about the Mac Pro. And he's right. You can read it that way, right? And I think that if you're, uh, I, I think if you're inclined to view this as a way for Apple to sort of like poo-poo all of that complaining, but not really promise anything other than that there will be IMAX in the future, shocker, then in, in an oblique way, then, uh, you know, I think that's a valid way to read it. So I, I think you can look at this and say, hey, look, it's some, it's some uh, you know, not official, official reassurance to Mac users that Apple cares about the desktop. But if you are convinced that they don't really care about pro level desktops, you can definitely parse this and say, I'm not sure he's saying anything about that. My my take on this is that he's talking about the iMac, but I'm fine with that. The iMac is as pro a machine as I ever could want or need, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, my feeling is that they've got new iMacs that are coming out soon, right? And he knows about them. Mm -hmm. And that's the next product up. So you're teasing the next product up by saying, we got some great stuff, you know, aren't there great things? When they talk about the biggest screens here, like, why would you mention screens? Because the MacBook Pro will will drive a 27-inch 5K display or two in the 15-inch case, right? So... Um, so what they real what he's really thinking is sort of an all in one with a screen, I think, and that's the iMac. So that's the um, you know, and greater variety of I/O is interesting. I'm not quite sure. You know, you could make some arguments that when he says a greater variety of I/O, um, what's what does that mean if we've got MacBook Pros with Thunderbolt three? Does that mean more ports? Does that mean expandability? At which point we are talking about something that like there's no expandable desktop Macs at all now. So I'm not quite sure what that means. Or does he literally mean? But there will be six, and that's not variety necessarily. Will there be legacy ports on the iMac? I mean, there's you can parse it a bunch of ways, but but it's hard to find. Um, and fastest performance, great, right? But it's it's hard to look in here and and say he's definitely talking about more than the iMac. And, and I think that that's what he's thinking of here. Just like that, this happened like a year or two ago, where where he said something like this, where it was like, you know, there's there's great stuff on the way, and people all see that shortly. And it was a new, you know, it was a new model of something, and it wasn't quite what we thought it was, but it was, you know, it was the next product up, and so why not? You know what? What do you think is going to happen? There's going to be a new iMac. I think that might have been the revision of the 5K, the introduction of the 4K, maybe, maybe, um, maybe. But it was one of those like we're you know we're working on some exciting things, and yeah. this is definitely important. And you know we've got some great stuff coming next year, and you're going to love it. And it's like okay, um, you know it doesn't really say anything, uh, but uh, yeah. So it's interesting because it's reassuring on one level, which is. We are we we have great desktops on our roadmap. We are working on desktops, which I I think the real question is: Were people really worried about Mac desktops, or were people worried about the Mac Pro and maybe the Mac Mini? Because because if you were worried about the iMac, I think you got your clear picture here that Apple has a roadmap for the iMac, and the iMac's not going anywhere. But I would argue. Um, of course, the iMac's not going anywhere. Was somebody really thinking that the iMac was going somewhere? Because the iMac's totally not going anywhere. So I think maybe this is a case where the question get a- gets asked. It gets asked in a, a vague enough way or gets edited by HR. I don't know how it works there. Uh, to be vague enough that he can answer about desktops in general without actually addressing des- you know certain desktops in particular. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that there was like definite need for worry or that even i was worried about the imac but you know you could imagine a world in which we didn't see one for another year right like it, it could have i mean could have happened who knows yeah. right like well i, I mean it anything seems incredibly is possible unlikely, but yeah anything's possible right <laughs> it was impossible to think the mac pro would be unupdated for three years right so sure so i think that there is at least something to be taken from the fact that they're saying that they have imacs in the roadmap and assuming that there's not Des- too many junctions between now. here and there. Oh, yeah, you know, I desktops. still, I still believe there is a there is a something that's not the iMac that's a desktop that they are planning. I still believe that, and my number one bit of evidence for that is I don't think the Mac Pro would still be for sale if they were never going to make the Mac Pro again. 
I think the reason that it's sitting there, and we talked about this before, but I think the reason it's sitting there embarrassingly long is because they want to keep it on the price list until they have a replacement for it. And so it sits. And and mm-hmm. um, there was, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But that's, that's my, m- the reason for my feeling about this. And the fact that Tim Cook is saying the right things here when he says screens and memory and storage and io and fastest performance and we care we know this is critical to people and it's important to people and we you know and we are committed and we have a roadmap and we're going to work on this in the future so don't worry like that is the message here and so beyond that i guess you just have to to say uh how much of that do you believe and how much of that do you think is spin and i think uh, everybody's going to have a different percentage there. And obviously somebody like Marco, who was pretty down on the prospects here, is going to have a smaller percentage of of uh, reading into that than somebody who's a little more positive about that. I, I think... You know, I think any time that Tim Cook says anything, even semi-publicly, about how about the Mac and about that aspects of the Mac's business are important to Apple and they have a future, I kind of want to take that as a win. But it doesn't... It doesn't brush away saying we're committed thumb and giving a thumbs up is not uh, brushing away the detailed questions about how the product line has been handled and where it's going. And th- those remain. This doesn't really dis- dispel them in any way. And, you know, there's a there's a phrase uh, used here. Uh, it's all talk and no trousers. <laughs> wow. You, I don't actually know what the full like meaning of that is, but it's like you you can keep saying like... We have great Macs coming, but until you actually see them, right? Like you, you can't see the level of commitment, right? Like I think that's kind of what you're saying to a point, right? Which is yeah. like you can keep saying it, which is awesome. Like keep saying it, keep assuring us, great. But eventually, there has to be something to back up those statements, right? Like that that has to eventually come. Um, and unfortunately, yep. over the last two years, those eventuallys have been getting longer and longer apart. Uh, and and so like you know at this point it's like it is unknown how long it will be before we get another MacBook Pro even right it could be two years who knows we'll wait and see now talking about like what Macs are coming and Apple's commitment to the desktop there is another side of this there is a you know leaks from inside of the company the the type of person who would ask the question in the first place the disgruntled employee there are those people. And, as you can imagine, someone has been talking to him, and that person is Mark Gurman. And there is a Mark Gurman report that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the episode today. Um, it's a big report in Bloomberg talking about kind of what the state of the Mac is. But before we do that, let's just, let's just take a little break from the heavy and just talk about something a little bit lighter, which is a, a really fun and awesome YouTube video that you put together um, about kind of the Mac's place in the Steve Jobs idea of the Apple product line, the cars versus trucks argument. Okay. Can you sum up the cars versus trucks argument? The, the real one or the fake one? The one Jobs <laughs> made. All right. So what Jobs said was, and this is at 2010 at the D conference, which is, uh, that was Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher's conference when they worked at the Wall Street Journal, essentially. They now, they left and set up Recode, and now they do the Code Conference, and there's still a WSJD conference, I think. But anyway, in 2010, it was the Walton Kara show, and uh, Jobs was there. And he went on, they asked him, basically, what do you think about, like, the iPad's future? 
compared to computers. And Jobs went on this riff about how uh, in the past all car, you know, all vehicles were trucks, and we were an agrarian nation. And then over time, people moved to cities and and suburbs and needed cars, and they made cars. Now that's historically that's basically not true. It's not, it's not true. But uh, his point, his real point was that uh, computers are all have been all purpose tasks or taskers, all all purpose. Like if you want to do this, it used to be like get on the internet is a good example. It used to be you had to have a computer. Like computers were a thing you bought, not because you needed to do like high-powered computing, but that was the gateway to be able to get on the internet, to check your email, to look at web pages and things like that. And so everybody had a computer. But now what he's saying is with tablets, he was talking about, but I think we have to throw smartphones in there, obviously. But with tablets, his thought was there's a whole class of people who will not need a computer because all they were doing with their computer is is getting on the internet and there are more appropriate devices that let you do all of those things without having to have uh, a big old computer a big old laptop or a desktop computer and 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 i think there's validity in that statement i my mom had a laptop for 15 years or something like that and now she just is ipad only uh, ipad and iphone but she mostly is just using her ipad and that's that's uh so i can see it I can see his argument there. So that's what he was saying was it's going to be uncomfortable in this post-PC world when everybody's using devices that aren't PCs to do all of these general tasks that used to be in the computing bucket but now aren't. It's going to be uncomfortable for people um, to deal with that change, but that in the end, the personal computer is a tool. It's a particular tool for a job. And if you need to do that job, you'll use it. But it's no longer a general purpose device where um, you buy it because you want to be on the internet. Like his his point, if I had to boil it down, is it used to be that you bought an iMac. Like the i was for internet. You bought an iMac because you wanted to do email and go online. So you bought a, a big iMac and you plopped it down on a desk and you plugged it in and you plugged in your, your modem, you know, phone port to the modem plug and you went online. Yay, you're on the internet. And today you would never do that. You know, you don't need, if all you're doing is checking email and keeping up with pictures on Facebook, you don't need a computer to do that. And in fact, the computer is probably a, you know, depending on who you are, it might be the right tool for the job if you have particular needs, but it's, you know, a, a phone, and a tablet are are absolutely capable of doing all of the things that you need to do. And so that was his argument, was that over time, PC people, people who came up in the computer industry were going to be uncomfortable by the fact that this device that they loved, um, that that is uh, the center of everything, is going to become not the center of everything because it doesn't need to be anymore. And it's just going to be more of a, a niche tool. It's a tool for very specific uses when, you know, instead of it being everything needs a computer, it's like some jobs need a computer. And that's really different. So that I think that's the heart of what Jobs was trying to say there. So you put this video together, which people should go and watch. It's on YouTube. Um, talking about your kind of theory on this now is that Jobs's original argument, which is the argument that many people still come back to today about why the Mac is important because the Mac is the truck. It seems that there is a change, at least from Apple, in like what the Mac is. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was what prompted me to make the video. I was trying to think about 
about it and I realized I need to go back to the jobs video. And then I watched the jobs video and I thought, oh, this is like, I, I started to try to take it apart. And first I, I had to get over the fact that he, he starts with this kind of fantasy of of agrarian <laughs> truck nation uh-huh, that doesn't uh-huh. exist. I know and, you were really and, stuck on I mean, this you, idea for you a saw, while. <laughs> you saw a version of my uh, an early version of my script. I I, I kind of want to do a whole video now that's just about like the history of cars and trucks and why Steve Jobs is totally wrong. <laughs> but that's kind of not my area, and I probably won't make that video. Um, but so I I kind of got over it. But I thought it was good going back to that because I certainly use that car and truck metaphor all the time, right? Because it's and so beautiful, right? Like it's it such is. a beautiful metaphor. It is. And it's not so. So I think it's not quite quite right historically, but I like the idea as I just described it. Right. The problem is, as I thought about it more and more, and as I was working on the video, that, and and I think I've mentioned it on Upgrade before, and I know I mentioned it on Clockwise at one point. Is how do you square the view that computers are trucks with the fact that? Uh, Apple makes decisions about the Mac that seem to be driving it away from professional use. Like if if you if you just go straight with the metaphor of like you know tablets and smartphones, let's say are cars and computers are trucks. Why you know shouldn't the Mac Pro and the MacBook Pro be the ultimate destinations, and they should be super powerful devices? Because in the end, who's buying Macs anymore? It's pros. They're they're the truck drivers. They're the they're the people hauling things. They need the tools, the professional tools, or the contractors, whatever you, however you want to take that metaphor. They need trucks, right? They're they're rendering video. They're editing audio. They're doing you know special effects. They're doing uh, biotech. They're doing. I mean, you name all the things that uh, they're and they're developers, right? All of those things throw the, throw them in. The, they're they all need trucks, right? But you look at the MacBook and you look at the MacBook Pro. Um, and you could even go back and say things like uh, the the iMac when they redesigned the iMac to be thinner. It's like, are these truck features? Are these truck features or are these car features? Because thinner and lighter makes sense on mobile, and that's Apple's playbook has been thinner and lighter because that, those seem like car features. They're like pros may want it to be thicker and heavier and have more power, but uh, regular people don't. They, they need enough power to get by to do the things they want to do, but that that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you look at Apple's design decisions with the Mac and you're like, are they making, do they really think the Mac is a truck? And that's when I, I came to my conclusion in the video. And the video is definitely me asking a lot of questions and not giving any, anybody like the answer from the mountaintop. I'm like, what does this all mean? Because I really am still kind of wondering, but I, I am starting to wonder if Apple doesn't see the Mac as a truck at all, or at least Apple may see, because Jobs was talking about the whole personal computing industry. Apple may look at the Mac and say, what's the best target audience for the Mac? And I feel like it's more like an SUV or a crossover. John Syracuse gave me a hard time for for lumping crossovers in with SUVs. But, you know, it's... Those car people, huh? If you don't, I know. But, I mean, basically there's a whole class that's just as popular as a traditional car that is was originally, you know, sort of styled or, or based on a truck a truck body, but sort of styled like a car. And the idea is there's this whole new class of vehicle that's really for people who want to drive a car. But they want it to be fancier. They want it to be bigger. They want it to be more powerful. They want it to have more space. Whatever it is, it's a fancy thing that's no longer a car but it's not a truck it's not a doesn't have, it's not a pickup truck it doesn't have a truck bed it's just a fancier bigger more well-appointed vehicle and 
and then there's the truck, which I would say is like, you know, you can have a truck and not use the truck bed, but um, because you like to drive a truck and that that's a perfectly valid use case or you can you need it to do your job. Right. And I started to think, OK, we can go too far down the ra- down the rabbit hole with these metaphors, which is in itself another metaphor. But uh, what if what if the Mac is an SUV, essentially? What if Apple's target audience for the Mac is not professional users? It's people who want to have kind of like car, you know, or like trucky features, but but still be a car. And if you think about it, there's probably to this day still a bigger audience for that than for the high-end, you know, pro yep. user. I agree. Like right. people yeah, that I, just want the little bit more space when they need it and more power when it matters, right. but are not developing software. Like the fact that, you know, Adina chose to go with the MacBook Pro over the MacBook Air when she made her purchase a couple of years ago because she wanted a retina screen, which was a nicer feature, and, you know, just a little bit more power if she's ever encoding a video or something. Yeah, it's. Um... And, and it's, I think Jobs, some of this I think is Jobs believing that the tablet thing was going to take off more than it did, right? I mean, the fact is that the, the tablet market is not is not growing exponentially and consuming the PC market. Like, I think he probably thought it was. Or at least at that time doing the right PR job required for the launch of the iPad. Yeah, well, that's that's true. That's true. But, and I, but I do think that's a factor here because I think that if, um, if the iPad and other tablets had really consumed in the last six years, had consumed a huge part of that consumer PC market. Mm-hmm. Even more, you know, the PC market is is shrinking, but it's not collapsing. If, if, if the tablet market had, had consumed the PC market for consumers, then the only place that would make sense for you to make computers anymore would be to make them trucks, right? But that hasn't happened. Like regular people buy computers, even now, even with the option to buy tablets and and with their smartphones, people still buy computers. They don't buy them like they used to, but they still buy them. And so, uh, you know, I think if Apple were to choose to focus on professional, the professional market, they would lose these other sales. You could make the argument that Apple doesn't need to do that. Apple could do both. And that's totally true. I do wonder, and that was in the video too, I do wonder sometimes if just because of the mindset required to make cars, which are the iPhone and the iPad, if it isn't easier and if and actually if Apple is is best at focusing on those same kind of values when they make Macs and therefore making thinner and lighter, friendlier, consumery, consumer friendly, not high-end devices everywhere. It like fits into who they are and the pro stuff on the Mac just they don't think about it. They don't understand it. They can't prioritize it. I don't know what the thought is there because it's not like car makers can't make trucks too and cars and SUVs and all of that. But Apple's a, you know, Apple's a different kind of beast and it may be. But I I did have that moment where, you know, the, 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 the crystallizing moment for me was when they do the MacBook MacBook Pro and they limit the RAM on it, it is hard to look at that and say that is like totally a professional product, right? It is a professional-ish product, but they're turning, you know, they're turning their backs on or at least they're not catering to 
a portion of their audience. And that's the, you know, that's the people who absolutely need something or think they absolutely need something that they can't get. So what do you think, you know, like, what do you think is the future here with this? Do you think that, you know, having looked at this, do you think that that it's going to continue to be this, like, bifurcation of what these devices are capable of based upon market desire and consumer need? Like, is the iPad going to become the car more than it ever was? Is the Mac going to become less of a truck because, and there'll just be no trucks anymore? Like, <laughs> what no. is going to happen here? Well, first off, I, one of the places where this metaphor is fundamentally broken, because Jobs is talking about the tablet in the original context of it, one of the places where this is fundamentally broken is the iPad's not the car. The, the smartphone is the car. Right. The smartphone is the car. The smartphone is the thing that everybody has. And the iPad is also, I guess, a car, or maybe it's like a minivan or something. I don't know whether it's, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's a general purpose device like that. Even the iPad Pro, right? It's, it's, it's verging on being able to do more, but it's not, you know, it's not a super high end kind of product. And then you've got the Mac and the Mac's kind of all over the place. My, my gut feeling based on what we've seen, and again, if they offer a Mac Pro that's spectacular in 2017, then we will have to recalibrate our feelings. But looking at the evidence of the MacBook being like totally focused on thinness and lightness and not on traditional kind of professionally kind of features. And then we look at the decisions that went into the MacBook Pro and where it is. I I think, you know, the thing I I take away from all the anger uh, from certain certain markets, certain audiences, uh, certain users of Apple's products about the MacBook Pro, what I take away from that is it looks to me like Apple has decided that certain markets aren't important enough for them to prioritize over other things they want to do with their products. And we've talked about that before too, right? Which is if if your favorite maker of whatever decides that the thing the flavor of chewing gum that you like isn't selling well enough and replaces it, you're going to be mad. You're going to be really mad. And you should be mad. They took away your favorite thing. But if it turns out that it was by far their worst selling flavor, and the new flavor that they've come up with is going to do way better, it's hard to say that it wasn't the right decision for them to make. And you could say, but you could still make that too. It's like, well, we could, but you know, there's the packaging and there's the, you know, there's the complexity of our business that you don't see, and we really need to just swap it out. And I feel like that that's what's going on here a little bit, which is which is sort of one of the questions in my video is, is what if Apple decides kind of like, we're not going to make trucks. We're not going to make trucks. We're going to make really nice cars that are still going to be able to carry a lot. But if you absolutely have to have a truck bed to do your job, to just beat this metaphor even further into the ground, then uh, we're not going to provide that to you. Because that's not the computer we want to make. Essentially, we don't we don't we don't want to provide that to you because we need to make these kind of products that we think have broader appeal than that. And that the question in my video is: Okay, so you've been driving this Apple truck for years, and now you have to make a decision. And the decision is: Do you buy an Apple SUV because you don't really need the truck bed; you just like to have it, or? do you buy somebody else's truck? And that's the kind of like yep. 
Microsoft question. Like, and learn how all their dials work, for example. Well, whether it's the Surface Studio, which is going to be an incredibly niche product, I think, or just in general, like it's entirely possible that Apple is going to say there are certain, and it has already said potentially, there are certain par- parts of the computer market that we we are not going to serve. I kind of hope they don't do that because there's lots of, uh, you know, things that happen to make the Mac less important when when they do stuff like that. And some of it they may not even realize at the time. I would hate for them to turn their backs on markets like that, but they may be doing that. I don't want them to stop making the Mac. I don't want them to stop making the Macs that people want to use. But I don't want them dragging something along and taking up resources that could be used on making newer and cooler technology. And I don't mean, because people always think, of, I'm using my biases here, I don't mean make a nicer iPad. right? Like If that's what it is, then great. But I'm well aware that the Mac and the iPad sells the same amount. But like if it is something else, like the future of computing, which is neither of these things, then I want them to be focused on that. You know, I know it's difficult, right? Because I still rely on a Mac. Like, my iMac is still incredibly important to me. And I consider my iMac a professional machine because it is, like, the top-of-the-line one. Right? Like, it is beefy, very beefy. Um, and and I, do prof- I do professional work on it, right? Like, I do what is considered the creative professional work on my Macintosh. Uh, but I, I really don't like the idea of Apple has to continue making these things forever because I really need them. Well, and and the, I mean, again, I feel for the people who are upset about this, but like, how many people really do need more than 16 gigabytes of RAM? And I, I don't think many people. I, I think many people might want it. I, I really don't see how many people well, need it. With what yeah, we do on our computers <laughs> right now, right? Like with the things that we currently do, like I'm sure that, you know, you listen to this in five years and laugh at them for saying that, right? Like that old thing. But like with the stuff that is in our current future, like that we can see and the stuff that we use right now, I don't know how much more, like realistically more RAM you need than 16 gigabytes. Yeah, and, and again, somebody will say, but for my particular use case, it's like, okay, you boil it down to the people who absolutely have to have it. Boil it down to them. How big is that market? And if the difference between having more battery life or whatever in a... And, and we'll talk about the Mark Gurman report, which lends some more kind of understanding to what's going on with the batteries in the MacBook Pro. But if, if making these decisions that, you know, 99% of the users will find appealing in the MacBook Pro, but that 1% will find a deal breaker, you make the... You, you, you say goodbye to the 1%, Right. And you and you optimize for the ninety nine percent. It just sucks to be in the one percent because they've they've stopped making your gum, and you should be angry about it. But yep. I don't know. I just I feel like the truck thing. The, the, the truck thing is fascinating because it goes it, it it bringing it back around it to apply it to professional use of computers is really interesting because that's when we have to ask that question of like, well, who are the professional users? What do they actually need? Is Apple? Is Apple serving them, but they're kind of like they have to adapt to Apple instead of Apple kind of coming to them? Or is Apple completely turning their backs on them? Does Apple care about that market? What markets does Apple care about? And we don't have a lot of evidence, so we all end up sort of spinning and asking us these questions. And sometimes it drives people mad, and they go back to videos of Steve Jobs from 2010. And I think it's very good that you made this video to make that argument, because I really like the argument. I like the argument, right, that the MacBook Pro is an SUV now, because... 
it's not they're not so or at least apple probably sees it that way because they are not solving for the the usual problems right like for trucks you make them bigger right or give you more space inside of them right and they are completely going in the exact opposite for the macbook pro they are making they are doing the same things you do for a car that you make it Prettier, more luxurious yeah prettier you give Fancy it new features. fangled features um mm-hmm. and you streamline it and that's what they've done to the macbook pro and they're probably going to continue so there probably isn't a truck lap well there isn't a truck laptop anymore uh unless you want to go to the used car lot and buy one yeah that's or, or another is. brand or another brand so does the truck desktop exist anymore we'll find out in a year I think that's uh, yeah, that's about right. That's about right because the iMac, you know, again, the iMac of today, the 5K iMac, the, which is the 2015 model, still is the current one. You know, that's a pretty darn powerful system, like enough that a lot of people who only use Mac Pros switch to the iMac because it's so powerful. But it's not, you know, it doesn't have all the features that the Mac Pro has traditionally had, right? And so it's the same argument, like they're, it's compromised in some ways, but. It's pretty powerful. So, is that good enough? And in 2017, I guess we'll see whether whether um, Apple has other parts of this story or if that's it. Can I continue to just make one more silly car metaphor? Sure. All I right, feel- my garage door is open. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like the computers that we have now, like these laptops, they're more like electric cars than regular cars because you can't lift the hood on them anymore, right? Like... You can't tinker around well, in there and replace things. You can't, yeah. And you most cars, if you open up the hood now, you'll find that there's just a big block. Yeah, there's nothing there, and 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 you can't. They're very similar in that way too. So a- Apple doesn't make the types of cars that you can still replace the transmission on yourself if you want to, and I think that that is part of the truck thing, right? Like I think people have long thought of the idea of the truck Mac as the one where you can pop it open and put the RAM in yourself, right? Or you can pop it open and put in a new PCI Express card, right? But no, not anymore, right? Like these things are just yeah. hermetically sealed. <laughs> that's but, and, the, and that's what I talk about, the philosophy of, you know, this is Apple's philosophy and it's not just bleeding over from the iPhone and the iPad, but it's also sort of a thing that Apple has been pushing since the early days of Steve Jobs, which is we can make our computers better by turning away from you could say this about everything they've done we can make our stuff better by turning away from things that are accepted as norms because we don't think they're necessary and they have lots a whole list of that right including mm-hmm. headphone jacks and particular ports that oh you got to have that and they're like no nope, we don't need that anymore but you know what um individually replaceable parts inside of their their devices is one of those same areas and if you go on iFixit you can see the um the tone that iFixit takes with so many of Apple's products it's great that they do those teardowns but behind it all there is definitely this oh Apple is stupid because they're making this they're 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 attaching everything together and making it impossible to repair anything it's like yeah it's true, they are, but they're not doing it to be jerks most of the time. Maybe soldering on the RAM is jerky, but um, uh, most of the time they're not doing it to be jerks. They're doing it because it allows them to make a better product because what they define as better is that it's thinner or lighter or faster or something else that is not about popping the hood, you know, taking apart your iPhone and taking that one particular item off of it and popping a new one on. And that's the 
you know that's just how they've decided to do it and that goes that extends to the the modern mac too where there are no macs with card slots anymore this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Smile. So we're still within the holiday season, I think. I think it's safe to say that the holidays are still here. You're probably still spending time with family. So why not give them the gift of a Smile product and help them become the most productive person that they can be on their devices and give them the most precious gift of all that is more time. You can help your friends, colleagues, and loved ones save time by getting them a text expander subscription. You can even get them up to speed quickly by sharing some of your snippet groups with them as well. Very easy to do. You can also help those that you know wrangle PDFs with ease using PDF Pen on the Mac or with PDF Pen on the iPad or on the iPhone. You'll be able to take all of this amazing power with you on the go. With PDF Pen, you'll be able to scan OCR and edit documents on the Mac. You can export them into word format as well if you really want to pdf pen is the swiss army knife for pdfs and you can couple this along with pdf pen scan plus for the iphone or the ipad which will allow you to take scans of your receipts on the go i use this a lot you know like you're out and you're buying something and then you can just take a snap of the receipt and you can save it to your dropbox file which you can give to your accountant at the end of the year job done and you can gift all of these ios apps using the gift this app function on the app store very very easy to do and you know this is one of the things that i I know that we all do a bit of family tech support over this time of the year why not get people set up with these things that can actually help make their lives easier and make your life easier as well because you'll be making them that little bit more productive with good solid great working applications that are constantly being updated that have got great support behind them. So go to smilesoftware.com slash upgrade. You can find out more. And whilst you're there, check out the brand new Text Expander blog where you can find out more about Text Expander public groups, which are a cool thing. Um, I'm, uh, I have a pu- couple of public groups that I subscribe to in my Text Expander for like common misspellings and stuff. And for Apple products, like if I type in MacBook, it does all the correct capitalization for me and stuff. I didn't add those, but I subscribed to somebody's public group who did it for me. They have new snippet keys in Text Expander for iPhone and iPad, which you can learn about on the blog and even how to get your hands on some lovely smile software stickers which i have stuck to my devices of course thank you so much to smile for their continued support of this show and relay fm all right mr snell yes sir so this is i guess the main event of this discussion today Um, i don't know is the bloomberg report uh, yep. from Mr. from our from our friend uh, Mr. Mark Gurman, uh, the the bringer of stories um, for upgrade. <laughs> uh, we thank Mark again for his commitment to giving us great topics for the great show. things to talk about. Sure. Now I'm going to do a lot of talking here. Okay. As I try and boil down and, and tease out some of the more interesting parts of this article. So we'll start with some quotes. Interviews of people familiar with Apple's inner workings reveal that the Mac is getting far less attention than it once did. They say that the Mac team has lost clout with the famed industrial design group led by Johnny Ive and the company's software team. There is a lack of clear direction from management. So this is like the, the kind of the, where this piece begins. German is basically saying that he's speaking to people who are telling him that the Mac is not considered as important enough or as important anymore as it used to be inside of Apple. Now, don't think that this is a hard thing for us to assume, but it's interesting to hear about. However, I feel that this part um, and some other parts a little bit later on in this article taint some of this article for me. Now, a long time ago, I asked you the question, why do people leak to the press? 
And one of the things that you said to me at that point, kind of knowing what you know and, and having worked in this stuff for as long as you have, is sometimes it's disgruntled employees that have tried to make change inside of the company. They can't do it anymore, so they're crying to the press about it. This feels that way to me. This whole article Ooh, yeah. mm-hmm. feels like somebody inside of Apple who's super unhappy is yep. bending the ear of Mark Gurman. Or people who were at Apple. Were. In fact, yes, you can you can point. look at some of these attributions and it's people familiar with Apple's inner workings, right? That doesn't mm. even say people at Apple. It says people familiar with Apple's inner workings. I'm not quite sure what that means. You know, you have to protect your sources here. But who's familiar with Apple's inner workings? I mean, there are lots of people who are familiar with Apple's inner workings, but might not, might not be, you know, at Apple or, or were at Apple or are connected to Apple in some way. Um, I don't dispute. I mean, uh, to be clear, I believe that Mark Gurman is diligent with his sources and that these sources are legit. But yeah, this is one of those articles where I look at and I think, as you should always do with any leaked story, which is who is the leaker here and why did they decide to leak this? And this story, I look at it and I say, these are people who want to complain about how the Mac is being treated at Apple and uh, and are unhappy with some of the processes that Apple is using in its in its product development. There are a couple of other parts to this that kind of speak to that argument, I think. Um, there's one part where they're talking about the fact that when Apple reorganized the software and hardware teams, and I'm assuming that this was the reorganization that happened after Forstall, when they went into the big pillars, the divisions that we spoke about a few weeks ago of software and hardware, right? Um, when this happened, or if there's been any since, they've actually disbanded the dedicated Mac OS software team, and they have just one software team now that, of course, focus majorly on iOS. Like, the majority of those people focus on iOS. And this kind of is an interesting thing to look at, and I can see that, like, you can look at this and say, from a where does the company's money come from, if it's all one budget, Of course it goes to iOS, right? Like 95% of the people go to iOS. But if you're inside and you previously worked on macOS or you are working on macOS, this is going to upset you, right? Yep. And and we spoke about this. My my feeling, look, I, I can't say that I know how to run the most valuable company in history. (laughs) No. I can't yep. say that. But having just looked and, and doing some armchair business stuff and reading what we've read, this this one article a couple of weeks ago, that Fox article, which was really great, I can see a real benefit for Apple starting to silo some of these teams away and giving them their own budgets and letting them work in their own way and collaborate as opposed to just constantly taking from this pool of people who have to be put on different mm. uh, projects because it's always going to be the project that makes the most money that gets the most attention. And that isn't always the best idea because I think it can stop some innovation occurring or just like exciting things. Or, you know, maybe it's maybe it's best to have the people that really want to work on the Mac work on the Mac and not begrudgingly work on iOS when you're looking at the sake of the quality of the product. You know, like you, you maybe want less people that are just annoyed and, and not working in the right place. Or maybe you want, you know, if you have a, a, an engineer who's really great at iOS stuff, 
he's also kind of good at some macOS stuff, but you need them on the Mac. You put them there, but then you're losing some. You know, I think that there are some real benefits to having these siloed teams again, uh, because it does seem like a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in regards to this kind of hints towards the fact that Apple is kind of shooting themselves in the foot in some areas by making everybody work under one line of command. Yeah, I mean, I can take the counter argument there, which is to say that so much of the stuff that Apple does is shared that it's counterproductive to have uh, to have these separate groups when so much collaboration needs to happen and that if they're building a feature for all of the platforms that it might actually benefit the Mac to have the group that's working on that feature build it for all the platforms instead of having an iOS group build something whizzy and then a Mac group be like, whoa, what do we do with that? But I mean, I, I could argue that, but I think I'm more inclined to to agree with you that um, the downside is that it becomes a thing that people don't want to do. Uh, people, you know, it's an afterthought and that, uh, that it's, uh, yeah, that it, 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 it ends up degrading the quality of the product. The thing is, this isn't sexy, but you could have, you know, as many big companies do that work in this way, uh, like cross-platform working groups, you know, where you'll bring in someone from this team, someone from this team, someone from this team. They are the team responsible for implementing this cross-platform feature, and then they manage that. And look, I'm these sure things there can is add some of time, that. right? They can add time to a project because there's a lot of politics going on. But it's a way that you could have these people work together and collaborate by having people that are responsible for a certain area working with their counterparts closely. Like these things are possible to do, but it's a company culture thing, and that type of stuff super changes your company culture because. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there is an element like historically going back in Apple of the idea of what happened when Steve Jobs tried to take the Mac team off and then they had the Lisa team, right? Like that's yeah. what can happen is that teams can start fighting because there, you know, it, it, there is like everything that is in here of these disgruntled, potentially disgruntled Mac OS focused employees complaining. Like that's that sort of stuff can only happen tenfold, right? Because if you're like, oh, well, they get this and this and this, but it could also end up being significantly better for the state of the products because they might get more dedicated love to them. But as I say, I can't sit here and say that I know how to run the biggest company in the world better than Tim Cook because I can tell yeah. you I do not know that. And I also assume he's considered this, right? And our priorities as users of the Mac, especially as we've declared you know in detail we've covered it in this show our, our priorities and the priorities of other people who use the mac may not match apple's priorities too like we can be dissatisfied and say why aren't they taking better care of the mac and their answer may be we're taking care of the mac exactly as much as we feel we need to and that's not a very uh encouraging argument but i can't uh, argue yeah, with it and you can and you can definitely argue the other side that one of the things that German says is that you know departures of key people working on Mac hardware and technical challenges have delayed the rollout of new computers, right? Well, one of the ways that you potentially lose good people is saying we've got a Mac group and you're going to design Mac laptops and there'll be a new one every two two years or every year. Good luck, enjoy that. And if you're an incredibly talented hardware engineer in Silicon Valley, that uh, might I feel to like work on the iPhone. I know, right? And, and so two things happen then. One you get a different job at a different company. Or another thing that I know has happened at Apple, because I hear people, I have heard for years now about people complaining about this inside Apple, which is people get pulled off 
temporarily or permanently. Like if you're an Apple employee working on the Mac and uh, doing hardware and you get an opportunity at a job for the iPhone, you take it, I would assume, if it all matches up, all things being equal. It's a much more exciting product. And then wh- who's left on the Mac? Suddenly the Mac is the B team. <laughs> Your it's job's the C more team. secure if you work on the iPhone. <laughs> And you know? so that that's all that's all part of the, the uh, part of the issue here too. Where if you've got kind of like a unified team and the Mac is one thing you make, as well as an iPhone and an iPad, you could argue that everybody gets a little bit more. I mean, I could also argue as a former manager that you've get you get uh, people who are all kind of somewhat satisfied and somewhat dissatisfied mm-hmm. instead of having satisfied satisfied people and dissatisfied people. But it's a hard problem to solve because. You know, the Mac is not the center of attention at Apple, and it's not going to be. So how do you structure it in a way that you make good Mac products in a company that is not where, where it's not the number one priority? That's a tough one. It's well, a very what, tough one. Whatever it is that Apple are doing, it seems to be upsetting people. It's apparently more than a dozen Mac engineers and managers have left for different teams or companies in the last 18 yeah. months. Which could say Different one teams, of the though, things. is interesting, right? Yeah. It's one of the two things. Either they're unhappy... They're bored or they're thinking about where job security is, right? I think they're the three things that could be happening here. Or Apple is doing what they have definitely done through the years, which is reprioritizing people. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard stories about people who got pulled off of the thing they were working on because there's this other important thing at Apple that you need to work on. We, We like pull in employees from other teams and have them do this. And, you know, if you need something that's super important for the iPhone and there's this person over here, you know, let's take them. And and do that. You could also. I I do feel like the um, when the 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 story about uh, which I don't know what the confirmation is that when Salsagoian left Apple, that the the Mac, you know, Mac automation group was disbanded, and those people were I think reassigned is the assumption there. But if that's the case, that would be one of these examples of like that was th- those were people who were focused on the Mac who have now gone somewhere else. Apparently, Apple wanted to create new, longer-lasting batteries for the new MacBook Pro, but was unable to meet a deadline. They were trying to pack these batteries into the case, akin to how they do that with the terraced batteries inside of the MacBook. So, yeah. like to to kind of fill every inch with battery by using batter like slices of batteries rather than filling the whole thing itself. These batteries failed the tests required running up to the release, so this technology had to be pulled to meet that deadline. It is said that this late course correction that they had to take here took engineers away from the other Mac products, indicating that this might be why so little was unveiled in October. Now, this is interesting to me for a couple of things. One, okay, I can buy that, right? That they had to rush and scramble to put some other type of battery tech into this thing, which required more engineers because they couldn't make it in time because they spent maybe wasted time developing this new battery technology, which only failed the tests. Again, you know, people may want to strike me down for saying this. I don't know why they didn't wait. Like, if they thought they could make this work, I don't think that the holiday season is that important for the MacBook Pro line. Well, it's not just the... So, so German says the important holiday shopping season, but let's also... He also says earlier it's been more than 500 days, right, since the last MacBook Pro update. So they were feeling time pressure to get something out and that they had already been too long in waiting before updating this product holidays aside and i see what you're saying which is well if you needed to wait a few more months or whatever why not do it i think that's what happened essentially when you're making any of these product decisions there comes a point where you have to say this feature is going to push us back 
So we're just going to put it off until the next revision. And we're going to move ahead without it because right. we need to ship something. They and make that's, the choice. Well, do that they need to wait? Right. And do they need to ship something new here? It's like, well, no, they could have no MacBook Pros for another year and then ship something. But I think that at some point somebody said, look, let's ship what we got. And the next one, we'll do the new battery in the next in the next one next year. We'll do it then. That'll be our up. You know, that'll be a reason for people to buy a a, a MacBook Pro in the fall of 2017 or the spring of 2018. Gurman talks about how Apple executives now ask for multiple concepts of new hardware, Boy. and they pick which is more shippable. Let me tell you this: this is the detail that screams of unhappy employee who doesn't like the process being used internally. This one is the, I can't believe they make us build two of these. I worked on one and my buddies worked on one. I can't believe they made us make two of these and then had a bake-off, right? Which, you know, I can I can see the argument that that's dumb and that they shouldn't do that. And I can see the argument why they want to have those competing designs and they haven't made up their mind. There, there are two ways to spin this, but it really feels like somebody who was unhappy that they were being tasked to be a part of this process this this whole thing was when my ears most pricked up yep so apparently there was a light and heavy version of the macbook one was called the stealth fighter and one was called the stealth bomber awesome awesome code names i assume (laughs) one had like more power to it that's my assumption it isn't gone into in the article what the differences were my my assumption is that the stealth fighter was more like a macbook air and used the macbook air processor and had a fan and then the the stealth bomber fighter is what came out is what Uh, stealth fighter is the one we know of yeah Mm-hmm. That's my guess is that that's why it's using the 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 lower power processors and has that yep. super thin fanless design. Obviously, the lighter model won out and they pushed the project forward. And because they were two, because the teams were working on two different prototypes, it took longer to actually finalize the MacBook. They missed their shipping date because you know they had people working on different things. I understand this. This makes sense to me, right? Like they then had yeah. to move the people that were working on the Stealth Bomber into the Stealth Fighter team, and right. then they missed their deadline because maybe they were working to like their original timescales, and now Apple realized, okay, these timescales are different. Now this just sounds like I completely agree with you. Someone who is unhappy with a new way of doing things. Like, I've worked with these types of people. Like, I don't think that this is an inherently bad way. I think it's a pretty good way. Like, why not let people work on bunches of different things? Well, so the argument is, and I've heard it before, the argument is, if you know you're only going to go with one, why are we building two? Why don't you, what you're doing, this is the argument, what you're doing as a manager is deciding that you are going to put off, push off a decision. And instead, we're going to waste our time. Half of our time on this project is going to be wasted fundamentally because you're making us do two different things instead of making up your mind about what you want. That's the argument. The other way to, to view this is we don't know which one of these will work better. We're not sure that, 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 that both of them will even work. So we need to go down this path a little bit until we get some more clarity about it. We can't just make a decision now. We need more information. And that's the value in doing this. But again, yeah. I can see both arguments. And I've, I've had those. I mean, I have my art director make nine different Macworld cover designs before we would pick an issue a cover for an issue I mean I get it it depends on what you're valuing in the process because everybody's learning stuff about the product line in going through this process even the people whose version doesn't ship they have found something or they have done something differently or you know, there's a thing taken from that thing because that might be cool later like i can't imagine that all of these people are just creating work which is inherently useless like that doesn't really seem like a, a a way that these types of things would be done i don't know and i also wonder like seriously how far down the process do you go 
Yeah. Like, and I don't think these were two teams either. I think this is one engineering group that was tasked with doing two things and they mm-hmm. were both, they were working on different, different things. But bottom line, yeah, if one of them's your baby and they pick the other one, then that's not going to be great. And if you feel like it was a, a waste of everybody's time because, you know, we put all this work into these two and knowing one of them was going to die. Um, but but also I would, uh, my gut feeling is that the person who was upset about this the most is somebody who was working on the one that didn't get picked. <laughs> also, let's, uh, let's just play a bit, little bit of a thought experiment here person who is working on the macbook who is unhappy about the current direction of apple do you think that maybe their one was the one that wasn't picked right that the person who is unhappy with apple's current direction with the mac maybe wanted the one with the big fan in it that was more like just an updated macbook air as opposed to the one that has one port and no fan and is really underpowered with the new keyboard yeah, sure. You know, Absolutely. I, I really see that as being like a kind of like a this wasn't what I wanted. Look, so my, my feeling is that I believe all of these things. I believe all of these things are true. Sure. I just think that there is a lens that is being put over them, which is of of anger and upset uh, as opposed to just like here is a clear stating of the facts, right? Like Apple is now, Apple now has longer timelines because they are developing multiple concepts of new hardware is very different to they're wearing out the teams because they're making make two things at once, right? Both of those things are talking about the exact same thing, but they're painted in very different lights, you know, because you can talk about the facts, which is longer timelines, or you can talk about the, it's wearing us out. We can't get our work done in time. Right. Like they're, they're different sides of the same coin. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, so it's a fact. I believe it's factual, but I think that this is really painted in a way which is, and everything's terrible because of this. Here's something that I know you won't agree with because I don't agree with it. If I don't agree with it, there's no way that <laughs> yeah. you will. German argues that more Mac users switching because of these longer delays in product revisions will make the Apple ecosystem less sticky and suggests that this might lead to people abandoning the iPhone and iPad. I, I really cannot believe he believes this. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a stupid statement because <laughs> I mean, the inverse it's, it's is definitely true, right? Like if people start switching to Android, Apple might sell less Macs. I don't, you know, right? Like that just feels more true Most to me. Most iPhone users don't use Macs. No, of course they don't. But what I'm saying is, like, if if people if more <laughs> right? people start switching away from the iPhone, they may sell less Macs, right? That that might be a thing. I don't yes. know. Then if they start selling less Macs, they're not going to start selling less iPhones. It doesn't make any sense. The numbers don't even go near to each other. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is most iPhone users already don't use Macs. Yeah. The, the Mac the Mac will not have an appreciable impact on people using the iPhone and the iPad. No. It, it just won't. There's no way. Because There's also, no way. If you're upset with Apple for you know the, the iPhone is is still kind of as good as it's always been. Like if you want to get a PC there's no reason you have to leave the iPhone. Exactly right. So so that's I mean less sticky sure in that the Windows Windows support of stuff is not always as good as on the Mac for Apple's ecosystem but it's all there and it you know if you care you can you can use it. So I I just I think that's a baffling statement. And then the other statement, the paragraph before that I I find equally baffling is the company can't afford to alienate professional designers and other business customers. After all, they helped fuel Apple's revival in the late 1990s. All right. Again, I have great sympathy. I covered desktop publishing 
when Apple was going out of business. They the the professional users did help fuel Apple's revival. Although that's even wrong. App, they kept Apple alive long enough for Steve Jobs to come in and turn Apple around and release the iMac, and then consumers fueled Apple's revival with the iMac. So even that statement is not really right, but it is right in spirit in the sense that the pros were the only thing that had let Apple have a heartbeat in the mid-90s when I was writing about this stuff. Is there an argument, though, Like, because I keep rolling this one around in my brain, that Microsoft is going after the creative professional in the hopes that they might be able to do something similar? Like The creative professional will keep them alive until they have something? Microsoft's going to be alive you know anyway because I mean. of all the you know all the services business, but but the, 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 can't afford is the part. It's like it f- makes us feel bad that they're alienating these core users who helped keep them alive twenty years ago. Yes, absolutely. Can can Apple afford to alienate a portion of the Mac user base? One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. well, Apple could in fact afford to alienate a hundred percent of the Mac user base if they it really right. They could afford that. What would happen if Apple just shut down the Mac business? Apple would be fine. That's the truth. Apple again, would be fine. I will underscore this. We really don't want this to happen. No. But I think it's not. super important to understand that our own desires shouldn't be Apple's desires. Apple's you, desires need to be what makes them the best company that they can be to please the shareholders, right? Like We are little little fish swimming around a whale. The whale is going to do what it wants. <laughs> what is the priority of Tim Cook, right? Like that's what we're looking at right now. And frankly, if you are a professional Mac user, your priorities and Tim Cook's priorities do not align. They do not align. Correct. I, I would be surprised if yours and Phil Schiller's, you know, I'm sure they align. I because I bet that Phil and Craig Federighi love the Mac. But their boss, I don't think, cares about you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say yeah. it. But, but frankly, like, does that annoy me? It frustrates me, but I don't think I am, like... It annoys me when Apple make decisions that seem weird, right? Like, in the moment, right? Like, when they do strange things to their products. Um in the in the broad scheme of things, like as a as a fan of the company, I want them to do whatever it is that keeps them making products for longer. That's what I want, and making the best products that they can make. As a Mac user, I, I want to continue to have good a you know a good product that I can do my job on because I'm not going to use a PC. <laughs> so uh, I would I would like them to make good Macs as for as long as they would like to do that. That would be that would be just peachy, right? But uh, but yeah, this is the, I just, again, it's just a weird, weird assumptions to make in the article that they can't afford, Apple can't afford to alienate professional designers. Of course they can. Don't, you know, don't say that. Will the Apple ecosystem become less sticky if Mac users switch? Um, no, it won't. I mean, unless you define the Apple ecosystem in a very particular and weird way where people, you know, that where the Mac is the linchpin of it, which it isn't. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's that I, this article is weird because what it feels like is that Mark has multiple sources of good information about what was going on inside of Apple in the last year or so, year or two involving the Mac. So he put all of that stuff in here. And then there needed to be kind of a larger story connecting it all, which is the unrest among Mac loyalists, as the headline says, which is also true. There is unrest in those areas. And then it sort of stitches it all together with some analysis and logic that doesn't really bear itself out. But there is the chaser right at the end. 
Final paragraph, Mac fans shouldn't hold their breath for radical new designs in 2017. Instead, the company is preparing modest updates, USB-C ports, and new AMD graphics processors for the iMac, and minor bumps in processing power for the 12-inch MacBook and MacBook Pro. I believe this, and I am sad about this. Right, like you know, I it, I know that my my feelings are complex when I talk about them about Apple and its decisions about the Mac, but I've really hoped that, like many people did, that the reason that we haven't seen something is because we might have something more. Right, like because I do want that to happen. I don't want all of this right. stuff to just wither away and die on the vine, but I can't look at that statement and be like, really, like really. Yeah. The whole year? Is that all? Like, the MacBook Air, like, is that still around in 12 months? Like, are you keeping this? Like, what about the Mac Mini? Like, the and the Mac Pro? Like, are you seriously telling me that in 2017, like, we're still going to be sitting here in January of 2018 and saying the MacBook Pro is, like, four and a half years old and it's still on sale? <laughs> Like is, because if you're doing that, like if that's the choice you're deciding to make, kill it now. Just yeah, stop right. selling it now. Even well, if you want to do one in the future, just just stop it. Just stop it. So there, there, there are a couple possibilities here. One, I mean, it could be completely right. It could be that there is a, a new Mac project that is going to replace the Mac Pro that Mark Gurman doesn't know about because the people he's talking to don't know, don't about, know about it. it. Yep. It could also be that rolled because he doesn't mention the Mac pro at all in this um the other possibility is that it is rolled into this and that what we'll get is some perfunctory um new version of the trash can mac pro that has new processors in it that doesn't and, feel good enough though honestly because huh? of how long it's i'm sorry there. you don't feel good <laughs> no but like it feels like if that's all it, if that's all that it's ever gonna be then why has it been waiting for so long with nothing that's what i find weird one report is that, and this is in this is also in German's story, and we didn't even cover this. One report is that oh, yes, the challenge yep. here is that this is being assembled in the U.S. the oh, Mac yeah. Pro, and that it's become a huge problem because they've had. Um, uh, although I did have to laugh, it's like uh, the Mac Pro meant uh, you know they had to make their own tools and train people to run them in an assembly plant. This slowed production and constrained Apple's ability to make enough computers to meet demand. Do you think they can meet demand now? Three years <laughs> later, are they meeting demand? Are they making enough Mac Pros every day in order to fill the channel for Mac Pros? It's three just years later, one guy, one girl in a shed somewhere in Texas. That's all no. It they is they now. just they got a bunch of boxes. I mean, the, the the scary theory here is that there's just a bunch of boxes of unsold Mac Pros in a warehouse somewhere, and they're just trying to, you know. But they they shouldn't be warehousing them, right? They should be making them on demand. But what does that look like? So anyway, that's the that's part of German's story too. Is the suggestion that the Mac Pro is meant to be a like Apple likes the USA kind of thing, and now that Donald Trump is going to be the president of the United States, it's like oh, the last thing we can do is pull the manufacturing of that back to china so what are we gonna do and you know i, I that's interesting detail although it, i'm not sure how current that is or if that's just sort of old information that's been kind of recycled here yeah but i don't know that's that's another that's another question mark for the mac pro on top of everything else i i both believe and disbelieve that final statement in equal proportions because my belief in it is like look at the last year does that seem like a possible outcome yes but then look at this entire article. Does this seem like an impossible outcome? Like, does this seem like somebody who's maybe trying to upset someone? 
Does this seem like somebody who's maybe yeah. trying to like tip over the apple cart a bit? Or does this seem like somebody who doesn't even work for the company anymore? Yeah. Yes, all know. of those options seem true. So mm-hmm. I don't know. However, it is fascinating. Again, I don't dispute the details and neither do you. It's the question no. of like always asking like why why this information? Why now? you know, what's the reasoning for, for talking to a reporter about it? And then, you know, I have some questions about the overall, like how it's all glued together in terms of the the premise that this is a, a big business problem for Apple, as opposed to more of a, uh, frustration for a part of the Apple's customer base. I believe that there are many facts in this article. However, I believe that they are poisoned (laughs) in some way. Fair enough. I couldn't think of what the opposite to sugarcoating would be. So wow! So you went with poisoned. Yeah. What else? Upset the poisoned apple cart. Vinegar coated. Like what? You know what are we? What are we doing to these apples here? I don't know. Let's finish up this episode as we have finished up every single episode in 2016 with some hashtag ask upgrade. Pete asked, does iCloud sync AirPods pairing to the Apple TVs? You know how your AirPods will have that iCloud syncing from device to device, from your Mac to your iPhone to your iPad. Does this work with the Apple TV? I don't think it does, although I haven't checked the latest version of the Apple TV software, which just came out, you know, where they, yeah. they put the TV app on there and all I that. I wouldn't but I, even know where you put headphones. Well, the in Apple the settings, TV. there's a Bluetooth, there's a Bluetooth uh, connection okay. thing. I never and and I, so I think not, but it doesn't matter because you can still pair them using standard Bluetooth pairing. But yeah. I don't think it syncs. I imagine it will one day. If it doesn't already, it will soon. But I don't think it does right now. Last time I checked, it didn't do that. Sounds like they need a uh, cross team working group for the airpods yeah, sure. functionality brent asked which device do you consider to hold the true set of your data the one that you use as a primary sync for conflicts and the one where you know you go to check for the most update up-to-date data uh, mine is my iphone my iphone whilst it is arguably in the day maybe my most of my working day it's my least used device you know i use my imac or my ipads more than my iphone um, i do still consider it as the hub like the central like source of information. Uh, I I am going to refute this entire premise. I don't consider any of my devices to hold the true set of my data. The truth is in the cloud. And it's out there, apparently. Uh, Brent asked, sure. in episode 19, Brent, much <laughs> respect. This is the same Brent, by the way. Yeah, all right. Great episode They're 19. all good dogs, Brent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In episode 19, you both said that you really only use Siri to set timers. Has that changed? Yes, because I now don't use Siri to set timers. I don't use (laughs) Siri for anything. I I don't have any standard use case for Siri anymore. Um, My my current standard use case for Siri is when none of my other, like, voice-activated assistants can give me an answer. I will then ask Siri on the hopes that it will give me. And a lot of the time, actually, it does. Like, if Alexa cannot give me an answer to something... Siri tends to have the answer, like, to a question. Like, I wanted to know how many, I think it was, like, it was a measurement. It was, like, a weird measurement of food, like, how many X's in Y, and the Alexa had no idea, but Siri knew it immediately. Uh-huh. Um, but now, to set timers, I either do them on my Apple Watch using the complication because it's super easy to do it in just a couple of taps, especially with Watch yeah. OS 3, or, as I do most of the time, I just ask Alexa to do it. Yeah, I do. Um, I do still set timers using Siri, mostly on my apple watch and uh but i also use it's funny we for for um 
Christmas Eve, we, we cooked on Christmas Eve. We went over to a friend's house on Christmas night for dinner, but we cooked on Christmas Eve. And at one point, I, I think we had uh, the Amazon Echo timer going, the oven timer going, the microwave timer going, my watch timer going. We had many, many timers were set. Although I, I believe one of the nice things about the Echo is you can actually set multiple timers on it. You can. However, the flaw of this is you cannot name them. Yes, right. And so which it'll you just can keep... do on Google Home, which is like the only yeah. reason that product is exciting to me. It's like I could say, set the timer for the chicken, set the timer for the potatoes. Yeah, um, exactly. And, it'll, and then it'll go boop, 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 boop. The chicken timer is over. Yeah. Boop, or boop, even boop, like, boop. how long is left on my timers? You have 10 minutes left on the chicken timer. You have nine minutes oh. left on the potatoes timer. That's what I want, right. you know. It's important um, stuff. But yeah, we, so, we quite frequently set multiple it. timers on the Alexa and then just kind of have to reconcile it in our brain. Yeah. And Simon asked, do you guys use or like any of the accessibility settings on iOS for normal day-to-day use? Like, do you trigger anything? On iOS, I don't. I don't use any of the accessibility settings. Um, But on the Mac, I use the increase contrast setting, which kind of makes all of the lines thicker and some of the stuff darker. And I use this purely for aesthetic purposes. There was one day, Gray sent me a screenshot and everything looked different on his Mac. And I was like, what is that? And he said, it's in, I think it's in accessibility. It is in display, increased contrast. Um, and I love it. I think it's awesome. I just love the way it makes everything look. And you don't get the same settings on iOS. The increased contrast settings do different things. Uh, but it just puts thicker outlines around everything. And I think it looks really nice. That's it. That's the only accessibility setting I use. Uh, interesting. Uh, the only accessibility setting I use, and even though they've got the colorblind uh, stuff in iOS 10 I was going to ask, actually, if you've ever tried the color, because I was poking around to see, like, oh, is there anything in here that I do have on? And I noticed they had a lot of color settings. Uh, yeah, it's weird, and it makes everything look weird, and I don't, I don't mm. use it. Uh, the only thing I use is on iOS, I use triple tap for invert screen. For night mode. And that is because yeah. there, there are certain apps that I will be using in the night with the light off and it will be entirely white <laughs> and I will triple tap to invert it so that it's not as bright. But that's it. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Upgrade. You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash upgrade slash one, two, one. Thank you again to our sponsors, Smile and Encapsula, for helping support this week's episode. Most of all, thank you for listening, especially if you've listened to every episode of the year. We very much appreciate that. Uh-huh. Uh, both me and Jason and everyone um, at the Upgradian uh, Office of Affairs would like <laughs> to wish yes. you the Upgradian happiest, Embassy, the embassy, the, the happiest of New Year's. And mm, we dearly hope that you tune in to next week's show where we will very excitedly, at least 50% of us, be giving our awards, our Upgradian, uh, Upgradian awards out That's uh, it. on behalf of us and the Upgradians to the people and creators of the universe. Okay, wow. I can't wait to hear that one. I know. If you want to find Jason online, he's at Jasonel, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at Imyke, I-M-Y-K-E. You can find Jason's work over at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. And you can find a plethora of shows that both myself and Jason host at Relay.fm. We have something for everyone there. I'm sure you'll find something that you like. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Happy New Year, everybody.